Good to see you this morning, young adults. Somebody shout at me and tell me that you're doing good this morning. Good. Like Sarah said, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the teaching pastors on staff here. And uh, Josh asked me a month or so ago, maybe a month and a half ago, if I'd be interested in coming to teach for you this morning. And I love, uh, I love teaching for this age group. Uh, you all in your 20s or so are in a super formative space. And uh, you're beginning to emerge beyond a childish grasp of your faith and into a more adult grasp of your faith, and you're wrestling with all the challenges that come along with that. And so uh, I love this space, and I love teaching for you all. I want to teach you a little bit this morning on prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer is uh, such a profound subject. You know, I, I've been a pastor for 12 or 13 years now. When I, early on, when I started my pastoral ministry, I often thought about prayer as one subject among many that we talk about in the church. So there's prayer, there's evangelism, and there's Bible reading, and there's, you know, holy living and all that stuff. But the longer I've gone on with it, the more I actually have come to see that prayer is almost the whole thing. (laughs) Um, Not that it is more important than all other subjects, but um, everything that we are in the sight of God and everything that we are as we're wrestling with our role in society and in our families and all that, Prayer is the place where it really comes to bear. We start sort of bringing that into prayer, and we're wrestling with it before God. The great concerns of our lives are really brought to expression in prayer. By the same token, when your prayer life begins to lock in in a profound way, it also becomes a sort of energy source, a power source for the whole rest of your life. So there, to me, there isn't prayer and then everything else. To me, there is everything else And prayer kind of sits in the midst of of all of it. That we're praying animals is what we are. That we're the the one creatures that we know of on planet Earth that are aware of God and are reaching out to him. So what is supposed to happen in that space? How should we expect? um, What should we expect from God and what should we expect from ourselves out of that space? And so um, we're in the midst of 21 days of prayer at New Life Church. How many of you were able to come to one of our prayer meetings this week, either first Wednesday or some of our noon prayer meetings? They were good, weren't they? It's such a, I love starting out the beginning of the year by thinking about prayer because it's so important. So what I want to do, this is going to be different than the way that um, a young adult's morning normally goes. Normally you all do like a few minutes of teaching and then some discussion and then more teaching and then discussion and more teaching. And then what I want to do is just teach. And then at the end, I want to spend some time praying for those people who are in a space of prayer that's a little bit difficult right now. So we're going to shift into some ministry time, and then we're going to wrap up by 1020 or so. So if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to open to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33. And uh, I got a lot of content that I want to put your way, so I'm going to go at kind of a rapid clip here before we shift into ministry space. Jeremiah 33, this is one of my, uh, you could drop in almost anywhere. And find on and, and on any page of scripture and find something profound to say about prayer. But this has always been a favorite for me. Jeremiah chapter thirty three. God's people um, are their life is collapsing. I mean, it's like burning down around them. The Babylonian army has begun has begun to come into Jerusalem in successive crusades to wipe out the city and drag its citizens away into exile. And so Jeremiah, Jeremiah, but he prophesies in the middle of that. 
he's appointed to be the prophet of crisis. <laughs> and in the middle of all of that, God speaks to him, Jeremiah chapter 33. The scripture says that while Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And this is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. So, hey, just so you know, Jeremiah, Yahweh God has not stopped being God in the midst of this calamity. He continues to be God. He continues to be the one whose presence sits in with and under your whole life. So just so you know, the defeat of God's people is not the defeat of God. God is still on the throne. Can I get an amen? That's good news anytime. And then here's the verse, and I love this, and we need to just let this blow open new space in our minds, okay? I think that, especially for those of us that have been raised in church, the easiest thing in the world is to read verses like this and you just blow right by them. Okay, I've heard that before and that's wonderful. But listen to what the Lord says to Jeremiah, verse 3. Call to me. Call to me. And I will what? It's on the screen there, right? Call to me and I will what? Say it again, real loud. Call to me and I will call to me and I will answer you and I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. It's not call to me and uh, if I get around to it, I might answer you. It's not call to me and let me go deliberate about it for a while and I'm, you know, if it seems good to us, I'm going to go ahead and answer you. It's not that. It's not call to me and uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will get together and we'll have a little conference to see if you've been worthy this year, if you've had a good year. If you had a good year, then maybe we'll come through for you. It's not that. It's call to me and I will, uh, what? Will. Will answer. I will answer. There's no wiggle room here. It's just a yes from God. <laughs> it's just yes from God. If you lift up your voice to me, I will respond to you. I have an answer for you. And we need to start all of our thinking about prayer in that space. When you think about it, the entire Judeo-Christian tradition really is built on this whole idea that human beings lift up their voice to God and God does something for them. Okay, Christianity, which has its roots in Judaism, is not primarily an ethical system. So what we have in the scriptures is not primarily a book of ethical teachings. This is not primarily about how you're supposed to get along with your neighbors and what you're supposed to do at work and how you should behave yourself in sexual purity and all of that. It's not that primarily. Nor is Christianity, like many other world religions, Buddhism and Hinduism and others, it's not a sort of contemplation of some philosophical system. It's not this invitation to sort of mount up and have this purely inward spiritual ecstatic experience of the divine. That's not what it is. What Christianity is, which has its roots in Judaism, Christianity is this religion that says we are needy human beings, and when we lift up our voice to God, God answers us. He comes through for us. The Bible is a record of God's breaking into history. It's a record of God's dealings with human beings. It's the shaping of a covenant people who are bound to this God, not in some purely ethical way, nor in some purely spiritual way, but in the actual concreteness of their everyday existence. I know I've gotten a preaching here, and I'm not even through my first point. Sorry about that. But it's just worth thinking about. One of my favorite theologians, a man by the name of Robert Jensen, puts it like this, talking about the relationship between God and his people. Asked who God is, Israel's answer is, 
whoever rescued us from Egypt. And asked about her access to this God, God, Israel's answer is, we are permitted to call on him by name. Like Israel knows God first and foremost because God broke through in a desperate situation. Am I right? To help them and to save them and deliver them. And so Jensen says when Israel's asked about what is her access to this God, she says, we get to keep calling on him by name. And Israel's whole history is a record of this. It's the exodus. It's it's the flood, right? It's the kings of Israel. It's the prophets. It's the judges. It's people. It's Hagar in the wilderness. It's people who are in a desperate situation who say, God, I need you. And God crashed in. The heavens were rent open and God did something. The psalmist. We wouldn't have the psalms. Our favorite prayer book of the church and of Israel. We wouldn't have the psalms if it weren't for this dimension of faith, would we? The psalms are not just some sort of sing unto God, the ground of all being. He's just so wonderful. No, what the psalmist says is, I called and you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. You rent the heavens and came down. You put my enemies to flight, and I can trust in you because you're this God. You're the God that rides upon the ancient skies, and you're coming through to help me. The whole of our faith really is about this, guys. And so what I want you to see here this morning is that prayer, in the sense of our calling unto God for the concrete things that we need and him answering us, It's not one thing among many in our faith. It's like the whole kit and caboodle. Okay? That's a theological term, the kit and caboodle. (laughs) That we lift up our voice to God and he answers us. So what I want you to see this morning is that apparently our prayers are not just our sort of coming into alignment with something that God has already decided to do ahead of time. Our prayers actually do move God to action. If we're reading the scriptures right, our prayers, I'm going to put it this way, and I hope you all understand what I'm saying here. Our prayers prevail upon God. Okay? Like God can be impinged upon. He can be asked to do something that maybe it seems as though he wouldn't have done otherwise. That we enter into it with God. That our cry, our concern, all of the questions of our life, they come before God. And something about it, it, it moves him. And if we didn't have enough evidence in the Old Testament to see that that was the case, the New Testament would be the clincher for us. Jesus is God, right? And Jesus shows us what God is like. And Jesus also shows us what it looks like when human beings interact with God. And everything that we know about Jesus was that he was moved by human entreaty. He was moved by prayer. He was moved by human need. He was moved by suffering. One of the uh, most profound elements of this or moments of this in the Gospels comes from a time when Jesus, the scripture says, was traveling past Tyre and Sidon. So he was going past some places that were filled with pagan people, folks that were not Jewish folks by ancestry or by religion. So he's going along in this place. And the scripture says that there was a woman who had a daughter who was possessed by an evil spirit. She was not a Jewish person. She's a Canaanite woman. So she's an outsider to Israel's hope. And as Jesus is going along with his disciples, this woman, this is one of my favorite examples of this. This woman starts lifting up her voice. She says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. 
my daughter is suffering terribly. And Jesus, in this really, it's an interesting scene, but he kind of just keeps his head down and he keeps going and he's not answering her a word. And she keeps calling out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And the scripture says that he just keeps kind of going. Well, she's creating enough of a scene that the disciples come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, can you just, with, okay, either just tell her yes or tell her no, but you can't keep doing this. And he says to his disciples, he says, well, I'm not really allowed to interact with her because I'm, I, was, I was just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, Jesus' mission was to the Jewish people, okay? There was something specific that he had to accomplish. This woman is so insistent upon getting her needs met and that the scripture says that she throws herself down on her knees before Jesus. So no longer is she traveling tangentially with Jesus, but she actually puts herself in his way. Jesus, you are not taking another step until you see me and see my need and give me an answer. So she throws herself down before Jesus. The scripture says that she fell on her knees and says it again. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and she is suffering terribly. If you can do anything, help me. You know what Jesus says? She says, well, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he says, and it's not right you know, anyway, to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Because she was an outsider to Israel's hope. So he's saying, I'm not supposed to do that. That's not part of my mission. And this is what she says. She goes, oh, yes, it is. For even the dogs, she says, eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I know that there is enough for me with you. Toss me some bread. And Jesus says, I have not seen faith like this, even in Israel. Woman, your request is granted. Guys, she prevailed upon Jesus. I'm I'm saying, I'm here to say to you this morning that your needs touch the heart of God. And not in some sappy, sentimental way, but they really touch the heart of God. And I want to say to you even more than that, that when you bring those needs into the presence of God, God is not ironclad fate. Other religions can worship fate. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We worship the living God. We worship the God of the Exodus. We worship the God who raised Jesus from the dead. We worship the God who is in an ongoing living encounter with created reality so that when we lift up our voice to him, even if, if the gospels are a true indication of what God is like, even if God has decided that he's going to do this other thing, it appears as though we can prevail upon God. God, I need this now. Well, it's not right to take the children's bread to toss it to the dogs. Oh, yes, it is. And the woman gets all up in Jesus' grill. And her prayers, her request, it's answered. Another moment in the Gospels, Jesus is making his way through a town, and there's this whole mob of people surrounding him, as was uh, typical in Jesus' day. And he has a woman who has this, she's, the scripture says that she's got this issue of chronic bleeding. And she had spent all that she had under the care of many doctors. Instead of getting better, the doctors actually made her worse. And she, when she saw Jesus passing, passing by, she thought to herself, if I could just get close to him and touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And so she makes her way through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches. This is how profound, by the way, the interaction between God and human beings is and how much 
with how much seriousness God takes us. She presses through the crowd and she grabs the hem of his garment. And the scripture says that the moment that she did that, when she pressed through the crowd and she grabbed the hem of his garment, she doesn't even touch him physically. And he doesn't even know that this is happening. So this is not like with the Syrophoenician woman where she's screaming out. This is like in secrecy. She's coming up behind him. God, the scripture says that the moment that she touched the hem of his garment, what happened? She's healed. And Jesus turns around. He actually, the scripture says that he felt power go out from him. What the heck does that feel like? He turns around and he goes, who touched me? And the disciples are incredulous about this. Who touched you? Crazy person. There's a whole mob of people around you. Everybody's touching you. What are you talking about, Jesus? He goes, who touched me? I know that power has gone out from me. She comes and she apologizes. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just had this need. Again, he says, woman, go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. Guys, our prayers do something. In one situation, Jesus was planning on doing something else. He wasn't even planning on helping, but he changed his mind. In this other situation, he wasn't even aware of the woman. And somehow faith prevailed upon God. God did something. I'm saying to you that this is the starting point for all thinking about prayer in the scriptures. That we don't start with, well, we're just kind of tossing requests up in the sky and I don't know there's God. No. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I need you. And that means something to God. This is how one of Jesus' best friends, John, put it. Book of 1 John chapter 5. He says that this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, everybody say whatever we ask, then we know that we have what we've asked of him. We know that we have whatever it is we've asked of him because we know that he hears us, whatever it is that we ask. I want to ask you, this is a question, a spiritual formation question that I want to throw at you this morning, a bit of examination to get you just to think about where you're at on this whole conversation. I want to ask you, when was the last time you really asked for something concrete from God? Okay. When was the last time like you really asked for something concrete? And I'll even sharpen it up by, by saying something big and concrete from God. Okay. Not like, um, Lord, I hope they get my Starbucks drink right this morning. Okay, so not that. And also not, I'm not, I'm not asking you about pious sentimentalities. You know what I mean? Sometimes we do that in prayer too. And it's actually a convenient cloak for our lack of confidence in prayer. So what we do is our prayers shift away from asking for the big things. Call to me and I will answer you. And our prayers shift into like, Lord, just um, give me serenity. One of those prayers where there's plausible deniability at the end of the day. Well, I think I was pretty serene. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You know, not that. I'm saying it was like a need of yours or a hope of yours, an expectation of yours. Something in your family, something in your personal life, something with your friends. And you asked God, I need this thing. Come through for me. When was the last time that that happened for you? And if it's been a while, why has it been a while? What's going on inside of that. One of the uh, most powerful times for my wife and I have been married for almost 19 years. And my wife, Mandy, and I have seen God come through countless times earlier in our marriage. One of the profoundest times that God really came through for us uh, was I was on the, at the tail end of my undergrad and I was a business student and I felt as though God was calling me to go on to seminary. 
And uh, so just to prepare for ministry, I felt the call to ministry and thought seminary would be a good place to go for that. And uh, it was scary <laughs> to think about that. Uh, my parents didn't pay for my undergrad. So every semester that I was there trying to accomplish my undergrad, it was more debt is getting racked up. And that was an intentional thing from them. I think that they wanted me to count the cost of debt that you incur there. So thinking about seminary, it was like, okay, Lord, I've already got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of undergraduate debt. If I do seminary, we're talking about like another 40, maybe 45, 50, like that kind of scares the living daylights, you know, out of me. But Lord, if you've called us to do this, then you've called us to do it. And I actually got, I got accepted by a seminary in the upper Midwest. And it turned out that they had this scholarship program that had just started a couple years prior, where if you met all of these requirements, you were eligible to receive a full tuition scholarship for the whole of your seminary experience. It was a forty-five, $50,000 value. It's huge. And we met all of the requirements. Um, and so what we did is we filled out the application, we put it in, and I remember in the, and there was a waiting period. And I remember in that waiting period saying to the Lord, Lord, I believe that you are our provider. I, I just believe that. I believe that on my bones. I've been walking with you my entire life, and I believe that you are the, you are the provider. Um, and if you decide to provide for us on the back end of my seminary experience, in other words, I have to rack up this debt and you're just going to get it paid for somehow. Either I get a good job or somebody writes me a check at some point. That's fine. But you know what I really want you to do, Lord? I'd really like to get the scholarship. Please, I'm asking for that. And I will never forget the day Mandy and I were sitting in the living room of our little apartment in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the phone rang, and it was a guy from the university, and he called, and he said, hey, good news. Um, do you remember the scholarship thing that you, you know, applied for? I said, do I remember? I've been thinking about it night and day ever since I did it. Do I remember? He goes, congratulations, man. You got it. And it was like tears of joy, this explosion of gratitude, because we asked God for something that we needed, that was important to us. And it seems as though in that moment we prevailed upon God to come through for us. This is how Jesus puts the matter with prayer. Matthew chapter 7, teaching on prayer, and he says, ask, and it will what? Just ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Like, who would do that, okay? Your kid comes to you in the morning and says, I, can I have Fruit Loops? You know? And you give them rat poison instead. Who's going to do that? Who's going to do that, you know? He says, so the, if you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. In other words, you are corrupt human beings. And you do have ulterior motives. And you're creepy sometimes. And still, if your kids come to you with concrete needs, more often than not, what do you say to your kids? You say yes. You say yes to them. Unless there's some compelling reason why they shouldn't have it. You say yes. And he says your heavenly father is like that. If you then know you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Concrete needs, daily needs. This is the interaction we have with God in prayer. Now, I've run out of time a great deal faster than I thought I was going to. So I'm going to end the teaching here by giving you four possible responses that God can have to our prayers. Okay? And then we're going to spend some time praying over each other and for each other here. You ready? 
Okay, possible responses to our prayer. Number one, yes. 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 How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand here, but if you were being honest and you were having to list possible responses to prayer, your first possible response that God might give to prayer is no. God is withholding in your mind. God is kind of this crotchety old man. He's a grumpy old grandfather. He's a cranky dad who always gets home from work a little bit late and doesn't have enough time to listen to me. That that's your way of thinking about God, that God is withholding. For many of us, prayer, answered prayer, feels accidental to us. It's like, well, my life is made up of all this stuff that just would have happened anyway. And then there's like 0.01% of the time, or maybe 0.001% of the time, you know, God has actually said yes to me and my life is, you know, it was better for it. But most of the time it's just kind of me duking it out down here, tossing prayers up to a deaf or disinterested deity. That's how most of us think about prayer. And if we're reading the scriptures rightly, uh, more often than not, the answer with God in prayer is just yes. Yes. I want to help you. I want to help you. Yes, I think is the first. Second possible response to prayer is this. Yes, but not right now. Not right now. Do you know that God has a lot to manage? (laughs) There are a lot of things happening on planet Earth, and I have found often, over and over and over again in my faith, that sometimes I'm praying for things and I think I need it today and God actually knows better than I know. And I don't need it today. When I need it is six months from now or I need it a year and a half from now or I need it 10 years from now. There's a timetable that God is working with that's different than my timetable. And so there's a posture of surrender that has to take place there, isn't there? But God is saying yes to me, but what I have to do is I have to empty myself into God. I have to give myself over to his infinite wisdom and power, trusting that he's going to unfold the answer when the time is right. So everybody say it with me. What's the first answer to prayer? What's the second answer to prayer? Third answer to prayer. Yes, but not in that way. Not in that way. Sometimes when I'm asking God for things in prayer, I have a specific idea of what it's supposed to look like. God, I want to be really effective for you in the kingdom. So what I really want is to get invited to be the next speaker at Catalyst or (laughs) whatever it is, right? And the Lord's like, listen, I want you to be effective in the kingdom too. And I have a plan for what that's going to look like. Can you trust me in the plan? Yes, but not that way. Sometimes we have ideas about what our future is supposed to look like, that um, they're either incompatible with something that God actually does really intend to do, or they would be out and out destructive to us, and we don't understand that. So here again, there's a self-emptying that needs to happen, that we're, God is saying yes to us, but he's saying, but not in that way, and maybe not in that time. So what we do is we surrender ourselves to the Lord, to his wisdom, and to his kindness. I can't tell you how many times I have asked God for things in my faith, and when the answer came, the answer was so much different than I envisioned it was going to look like, and it was better. And not necessarily better by the measurement of my ego or by the measurement of all my expectations, but better because of what it did for me and what it impacted in the people around me. I'm saying to you that it looks like this. How many of you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? You know, Aslan always kind of breaks in at the most inconvenient times. And oftentimes what he does (laughs) 
for those little Pevensey kids is very different than the outcome that they would have expected. But always Aslan is the sort of steward of the story and he gets everybody where they need to go. And you look back on the story and you go, wow, there was a fittedness to it. Everything worked in a way that it wouldn't have worked if we had just gotten what we wanted right when we wanted it. So everybody say it with me. What are the possible responses to prayer? Yes. And the final one, and then we're going to go to prayer here. No. And you'll just have to trust me here. Sometimes God will just has to say no. He just has to say no. The request just has to be denied. And God is not a puppet, guys. God can be prevailed upon. Absolutely. God can be influenced by our prayers. Absolutely. He set it up that way. But he is not our little monkey. God is not our little puppet. He does not just need to jump when we say jump and go when we say go. He is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And that means that there are times that we lift up requests to him and he weighs them out in his infinite wisdom. And he goes, I can't, I'm not, no, it's no, it's no. But do you know what I've discovered? That even in the no, there's a yes. And you know why that is? Because often when we're lifting up our cry to God, the concrete thing that we're lifting up before him and he says no to us, you know what he really sees? He really sees what we really need underneath that and in the request. And he finds a way to grant us what we really need in spite of that. So in reality, all of these things are actually yes. (laughs) I want you to see this morning that your life is wrapped up in the yes of God. God has been answering your prayers your whole life. Many times in ways that were very different than you would expect. Many times in a timetable that was different than you would expect. But he's answering prayer for you. And you need to lift up your voice to him. And so what I want to do here is I want to just take, uh, we have a couple minutes left. I want to just take a moment here and pray over you. Uh, Those of you that are in a space right now where you're really waiting on God in some profound way for something that feels big to you, would you just have the courage to slip up your hands if, if that's you? Good. Uh, keep them up. Keep them up. Look, that's most of us. We've got our hands going up. If you're sitting by one of these precious folks, would you just lay your hands on them and let's be the body of Christ for them this morning? Lord, we, um, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that when we cry out to you, you hear us. When we cry out to you, you answer us. And when we get involved with you, we're getting involved with like there is mystery on every side. All of this requires faith. Yes, requires faith. Yes, but not right now requires faith. Yes, but not in that way requires faith. And even no, in which is hidden a yes of God. All of that requires faith. So for all of these things, Lord, that we're waiting on you for, first of all, we're praying that wherever our faith is wavering a bit, that you would pick our faith up and make it strong. Lord, we're asking that you would pick us. Lord Jesus, we're asking that you would pick it up and make it strong with your own confidence that you have before your father, that it would be your faith in your God coursing through our veins, that we would believe with the belief of Jesus, that we would faith with the faith of Jesus, that we would cry out to you with the confidence of Jesus Christ. As the scripture says, the spirit of Jesus lives in us to make us call out Abba, Father. So we pray that you would do that. And then over all these things, Father, we pray that you would break in and break through in your way and in your time that you would do it, Lord, in a way that establishes your kingdom and your glory in the earth and that communicates to these precious people your goodness and your love. We thank you for that. And as we're in this space together, I want to invite you to pray with me the words 
of our Lord Jesus, which encompass our whole life. They, and this is a prayer that God always says yes to. Let's pray together as the Lord taught us. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, love you.